When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast under the SB Nation Podcast Network. Michael, how are we doing this afternoon? I'm doing pretty well, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, last night certainly helped. The Calgary Flames limped out of Edmonton after a horrible performance against the Oilers on Saturday night and welcomed the St. Louis Blues and I think took out a little bit of frustration on the Blues last night. Calgary sends the Blues out of the Dome with a 7-1 to defeat after... St. Louis scored early, Michael, and I don't know how you felt, but after watching the Oilers game, which we'll tackle in a bit, watching St. Louis put the puck in the net first, Markstrom gives up a goal on the first shot of the night. I didn't have a lot of good feelings or thoughts after that, did you? Yeah, it felt like it was just getting ready to go off the rails again. Like you said, it was the first shot of the game after the Flames had already had, I think, four or five good chances. So to see that one go in so quickly, like it just felt like, Based on everything we know about this team, we were getting ready for another uh, disappointing loss, but uh, things didn't quite turn out that way. No, so the first shot of the night goes in, and then by the end of the second period, the St. Louis Blues had only put eight more shots on goal to Calgary's 35, and at that point, the Flames had scored seven straight goals. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, who had been kind of getting thrown under the bus, I think I, I admitted that I had finally started to see the light, and then all of a sudden, the light switch went back on, Zadorov's been playing well, gets the first goal tonight, a beautiful wrist shot, walks in, off the pipe and in, 1-1, and then the floodgates just opened. Um, who, who scored last night? Blake Coleman scored, Monaghan scored, Gaudreau scored, uh, who am I, I'm forgetting, uh, Tanev scored, Rizitska, Tanev, like it just, it was, what we've all been begging for is somebody to help Johnny and Matthew and everybody showed up last night. Not that Johnny and Matthew didn't have a say in the game last night. Goudreau had a four-point effort, a goal and three assists, and Kachuk with five assists on the night. Um, are, there, are there any two players playing hotter or better than those two in the league right now? I don't think we've seen, at least on the Flames for a long time, two players that have gelled quite this well. Because even like when we had uh, Goudreau and Monaghan, like, they are always pretty good. But to see two guys kind of like playing the game their own way, but yet gelling together at the same time, it's just... I think you'd be hard-pressed right now to find two guys like uh, Kachuk and Gaudreau in the league, at least uh, for over the last couple of weeks. And then, too, you look at it, we, we left out Lindholm, who scored as well. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Lindholm scored, finally. Like, he, like that top line was just bananas last night. That's what, not 10 points from that top line, like which is absolutely ridiculous. And then you saw the secondary scoring hop in, too, which was great. Um, Gaudreau's patience on Tanev's goal was something beautiful. I mean, he could have fed the puck across early. He held, he waited, he waited. And just barely, if you watch the replay, I don't think he had more than a puck's width to get underneath the stick and he did it saucered it over there perfectly Tanev puts it in the net uh monahan scored a beauty coleman worked hard to get his with one hand and just kind of shoveled it into the net uh Rizitska's goal was the thing of beauty all in all like last night it was like i feel like the flames were like all right we're tired of getting yelled at by the head coach we're tired of everybody saying how we're falling in the standings let's go out and beat the team that i even tweeted i'm like is this really the second best team in the central i mean they just did not look like they even cared to be there last night 
Yeah, and I think some of it you might be able to chalk up to the back-to-back thing, but the Blues also looked pretty bad in Vancouver on Sunday night, but we're lucky. I think they only had like 13 shots, and they still won 3-1. So, I don't know. I think the Blues are a team that you still don't – I can't fully buy into, but nevertheless, to see the Flames play like that on home ice, uh, play well like that on home ice too for the second game in a row was a really encouraging sign. And then, like you said, to see all of those guys like – really like across the board chipping in that was just it was a really good night if you're a fan of the flames yeah 100 percent. i liked everything i saw out of calgary they were feisty um you know they they shot the shots they needed markstrom to his credit did not get a lot of work last night but when he had to make saves he made saves um so he ended up i think he made 21 saves on the night 20 saves on the night it wasn't heavy lifting at all i mean like like i said when you finish two periods and you only have nine shots on goal i mean that's where games can kind of go awry if it's like a two to one game or a three to one game because your goalie gets not lazy but he just hasn't been worked but i thought he needed a performance where he could kind of maybe ease himself into a game and he had that last night and when they needed him they needed him because he hasn't played really well lately yeah i thought his third period was solid he they had a lot of good chances which is to be expected when you're a team leading seven to one you're gonna get a little more leaky defensively so yeah i thought i thought he was solid in that third period the first goal you can't really blame him on there was four or five breakdowns that led to that goal so uh, overall yeah like you said i think it was a game he really needed and um we'll see if they go back with uh, markstrom again on wednesday or if they give him another crack against the blues on thursday i guess as they head into this road trip yeah, um, I wouldn't have a problem with them throwing him back in as well, um, just to kind of get him back on his feet and get him some a little more work. Um, on the contrary, or the flip side, was Saturday night's 5-3 loss to the Oilers in the Battle of Alberta, the first time the Flames had played um, Edmonton since opening night where they lost as well. And 2 nothing lead, you think you're going to take that Rogers place, everything's going to go good, and then it all goes right into the toilet. Um I don't think the stripes exactly helped the flames in that game. There was a couple weak penalties that were called um, Calgary. If you look at it on the night, uh, the power play was, or was the, uh, the side the PK was, was one for three, you know, Edmonton did damage on the power play um, to the flames credit though. In that game, Connor McDavid was pretty much a non-factor. I thought Shillington and Hannafin both played really well against McDavid. Shillington in particular um, was kind of a thorn in his side all night. But when you take away McDavid, other guys show up. Yeah, I thought overall, I thought it was a pretty solid performance from the Flames. Like, they did a lot of good things at even strength, but they gave the Oilers just too many cracks on that power play. And then, like we kind of always say against the Oilers, like, there is going to be, like, I would say minimum of two to three goals every night that, like, McDavid and Dreisa at least factor in on. And, of course, that kind of happened. Two power play goals, they both got assists. And then settled with that game winner off the very questionable interference play by Pugliarvi. Like, that... The more you watch it back, the more you realize that was more than just incidental contact. And um, yeah. it's too bad it was missed because Shillington would have been right there driving back to the net to at least stop Drysdale from being able to go across like that. There's a reason we don't see a lot of those kinds of goals in the league. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it was a tough way to lose a game, especially your biggest rival. But at even strength, I thought the Flames were a dominant team and they, they come with that performance. Uh, they're probably going to win those games like nine out of ten times. So. I tried not to get too down on that game, but again, anytime you lose to the Oilers, it's always going to stink, especially when you're helping them break their seven-game losing streak. So I I, I think uh, based on how the first two games have gone, like the Flames are going to win the next two against the Oilers at home. I would almost I don't want to quite guarantee it, but I think they're better than the Oilers right now. Well, the thing, too, you had to look at that game is it's 
it's disheartening from the standpoint of Edmonton, not only seven, they lost 13 out of 15. Like they were not playing good hockey. They're just above the, I mean, if the Kraken weren't as terrible as they are, Edmonton could be at the bottom of the Pacific division and the flames aren't doing themselves any favors either. It's not like they're rocketing themselves toward the top, but they have moved back up um, with last night's win. So I think, you know, all in all, definitely not time to panic at all with the Flames. They still have so many games in February. That seven games over 12 days is going to be a tough stretch, and I think that's where we'll see like where the Flames are going to settle in because um, it's not exactly the easiest uh, opponents coming in as well either. So um, no game for Calgary tonight. They get a night off. Um, Terrell Sutter had a couple of nice quotes. We'll lean into one of them. It's news out of Calgary. Uh, all five restaurants in the Saddle Dome will be open. Um, food, no alcohol, no um, anywhere but at least you're able to eat somewhere in the arena now um thoughts on that you like that policy i mean i know things are weird like things are changing like i guess everything the restaurants have been open in the oilers barn that's good obviously things are open in the states you good with that as as at least an option at the saddle dome yeah it's it's a good step because uh like the, the game i did go to it was pretty uh pretty frustrating to see literally all they had for any kind of food and drink was they had two gatorade coolers with little dixie cups next to them roped off in a corner if you really need to go get water at some point during the game it was it was the funniest thing ever and that that was to cover about eight thousand people so yeah it's good to see at least one step back i still think uh i'm sure they're waiting to open up food i i could really i think it just makes sense at some point you gotta just kind of get back with it so uh hopefully this is the first step to getting things all open and getting everyone back in the seats again Now, we'll step into Daryl Sutter now because he had two quotes that were really great. One of them involved the food and beverage service opening. They asked him about it, and he's like, well, if there's nothing to drink, just slip a Mickey in your boot when you come into the arena. And then immediately had to go, just kidding, just kidding. But um, I kind of like that side of Sutter. It's funny. like He's totally just like – and everybody's like, well, yeah, that's what ranch hands, farmers, and cowboys do, right? (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely getting his shoes checked at security when he comes in (laughs) through the saddle dome now. Yeah, his other one – was uh in in relation to Rajiska last night who scored a goal it was a really pretty shot you know had a really good setup on the play but he was asked about how well he played and he basically was like well he's got to be better you know I'm paraphrasing here but he he didn't really pump him up he kind of dragged him down a little bit and basically said well he should have scored everybody else did the work for him um as a kid you got to know that's probably just how Sutter works but like Rajiska gets back in the lineup he played pretty well last night and then how do you respond when that's what your coach says about you I mean, yeah, it's kind of like you said, it's uh, it's Daryl Sutter. He he doesn't get too high when things are good, and he doesn't get too down when things are bad. So I don't know. With that, I almost think it's scarier if the coach, if a coach like him is like pumping your tires because then he maybe feels like you don't have your own confidence for it. But um, I thought it was good to see Ruzicka score. Uh, maybe. I, I, I don't know what the dynamic is between the two, like because you can see what he says in his press conferences, like, oh, he's throwing the kid under the bus. But uh, he played really well, so or at least he played well. And I thought he played better than the other options they've had on that fourth line or bottom six. So we'll see if the flames go ahead with it. It was just, yeah, it's, it's just, couldn't you be a little bit nicer than kids? Daryl, it's like his third game of the season and you're just, he's got two goals and you're just throwing them under the bus, but it, it's Daryl Sutter. He, he doesn't let you get too high or too low. So I don't want to question his methods too much. No, exactly. And I think the the, the fun part of it is like, you know, he's like, you're getting your chances in the lineup, but he's not, he's not pumping you up. He's not getting you too high, but he's not getting you too low. He's giving you the obvious keep working and you'll stay in the lineup and you'll play. Cause there are guys in this lineup that aren't doing much of anything. Right. You know, you look at your pit licks, you look at your Lewis's. I mean, Lewis, I don't have a major problem with, but like 
with Pitlick and Richie and Richardson and even at this point, Dylan Dubé. Like, there's better options for the Flames. And I was thinking of that game last night, watching, like, who's going to score first next? Is it going to be Manjapani, Dubé, or Backlund? Or are neither of them going <laughs> to do anything? It's just, it's been tough watching those three sled. You know, it's been tough. Yeah, it's, I think it would have been really interesting uh, on Manjapani's front, because uh, all we talked about the first couple months of the season when the Olympics were still a thing was, is he a dark horse candidate? And now that he went from that ridiculous start to really slumping as of late, it would have been interesting to see how that turned out. But uh, I'm sure he'll get it back to a regular kind of, uh, regular kind of pace. Like, I don't think he's going to, he wasn't going to be a 40 or 50 goal scorer like he was on pace for earlier in the year, but I still think he hits 30 this year, so hopefully he gets back to it. But the other two, like you said, it's it's frustrating right now. At least the other guys were scoring last night, but Backlund and uh, Dubé aren't uh, doing quite what we expected so far. Speaking of guys who are scoring, Sean Monahan and Blake Coleman. It's Monahan is like risen from the dead. Um, he's got he got three goals in his last five games, and I mean I do laugh at times when I hear announcers say Monahan comes into the zone with speed which I think is funny because it's just not there. But I like his game lately. He's played well. Uh, he's back on that top power play unit, and he's effective. Um, Blake Coleman, like everybody's been waiting for the offense, and Coleman's offense, is it's been there. He's got, I think he's got five goals in his last seven or eight games. Like, or He's got points in five of his last eight games. Um, scored last night. So, you know, everybody's complaining the Flames need another forward. They need another forward. Yes, they probably do need another forward. But if they can get Monaghan back on track, and, you know, even Derek – but Derek Wills brought up in the post game. He's like, is it that far off to think that maybe if Monaghan continues his pace, maybe he does hit 20 goals again? Like, you know, like it's, there's a long way to go and he's got to really pick up his play, but it's not like you're looking at Monaghan now being like, oh, it's Monaghan from three weeks ago. Yeah. That's with Monaghan, especially, I think a big thing we're seeing right now in his game is he has his confidence again. Like um, when you're just a finisher like that, I feel like confidence is even more of a factor than when you're just a regular player. And one thing I've kind of noticed the last two or three games is not because before he was always kind of floating around in front of the net looking for the pucks. But I really noticed the last couple of games is that he's pushing that extra bit to do little things like on the power play, getting the puck back to the point in a puck battle, um, getting that extra shot. He just has a little extra step to his game these last four or five. And for whatever reason, it's it's really encouraging to see it because we thought that was something he'd kind of fully lost. But yeah, if he can even be just this guy that chips in a bit on the power play and isn't terrible at even strength, which I think for a while there, that's pretty much how you'd have to call it, was there was just nothing coming from it, even strength. If he can even play this way, a little bit of confidence, finish from time to time, like, it's not crazy to think that you roll with that. Like, if he's your third-line center right now, I think that's a pretty good team if he's rolling kind of as he has been these last five games. Yeah, completely. And a guy like Coleman, uh, maybe Coleman just needed to be reminded of like who he was and why he was angry. Like, you know, it all started with the the games against the Panthers and the Lightning and then carried over. And he's just been playing really well lately. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's shooting the puck more. He's getting more shots on net. Um, last night's goal wasn't anything pretty, but like the effort to put the puck in the net, took the shot, grabbed the rebound and then shoveled it with one hand in pass while being, you know, manhandled by a defender. Like uh, I'm, I think Coleman's been, He's the offense is starting to come around, and if Coleman can score like that every now and then, you know, things are good. Yeah, I think Coleman is the interesting player because I didn't really have any issues with how he was playing the first 30 games of the year. Like, I thought he was just kind of a solid uh, two-way forward, but now to see this offense finally coming out is something that's going to really benefit this team. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning with Coleman that he is a player who's just played essentially two and a half, almost three seasons 
with the uh, Lightning making those back-to-back runs to the Cup final. Like he's played a lot of hockey in the last couple of years on a very mm-hmm. strange schedule. So I don't think it was too unexpected to see him have a bit of a lull to get going, especially with the new team in Calgary, new city. Um, I, I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't think it was too unexpected but to see it kind of all coming together now. Like he's getting his chances, he's setting up chances. And I'm really liking how he's working with Andrew Manchapani as well. So I, I think he gets back to his regular kind of 20 goals a year, which he's seen most of his career to this point. And yeah, it's just another little boost to this team that had been looking for some more depth scoring, but hadn't been getting it from him yet either. So I think going forward, they should be pretty happy with where things stand. Although, like you said, they probably still need another forward. And I mean, looking at depth scoring too, um, Hannafin had his three point night goal and two assists against Edmonton. Tanev scored last night. Um, you know, we said Rzizka, but uh, Zadorov scored like the Flames are getting points from their defensemen, which is nice to see too, because it had been a little bit of a lull since Calgary had some defensemen putting the puck in the net. And now it's nice to see these guys stepping up. I'd like to see a little more out of Rasmus Anderson, um, you know, points wise, but even good Branson likes he's picking up an assist here and there. And that bottom pairing, again, playing well, uh, playing solid after kind of getting dragged through the mud in the press after, you know, three or four bad games in a row, they seem to have settled in. So, you know, maybe, you know, if somebody from, you know, the minors comes up like, you know, Peltier or somebody like that, that they can put in, in that bottom, you know, bottom six role, maybe the calorie could round some things out, you know? Yeah, totally. I think, uh, I'm still all in on eventually getting Peltier his shot. Um, We'll see if that actually ends up happening at all this year. It might not just because they're playing so well in Stockton right now. They might just let those younger guys take Stockton on a run this year with the team near the top of the AHL. But yeah, I think they're in a good place long-term with some of these young guys. And I think if, if they just round out with a rental this year, I think they're probably set at least for now. Yeah. Uh, looking at the schedule coming up, uh, no game tonight. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday is what we got at Columbus at St. Louis and then home against Vancouver. Um, I'm, it's the old sports cliche, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see a different St. Louis team on Thursday, right? And it's probably not going to be Bennington and Net. Yeah, St. Louis, this that's their next game is on Thursday against the Flames too. So they're going to be rested and they're going to have two to three days to stew on last night's game. Like they're not going to be a happy team coming into that game. So, And it's funny, the situations are going to be reversed with the Flames having played their third game in four nights on Thursday, coming off a of back-to-back as well. So it could... I wouldn't be totally shocked the Blues are such a good team if we see almost like the opposite of last night where the Blues just kind of throttle the Flames a little bit. But yeah. uh, it's going to be a big challenge for the Flames. Columbus is no uh, walkover either. They're a pretty good team right now as well. So it's going to be a tough back-to-back coming up here, but I think we'll see a lot about where the Flames kind of stand here. Yeah, so Blue Jackets, Blues, and Canucks to finish off the month of January. Then uh, February 1st and 2nd, another back-to-back with Dallas and Arizona, and then it's that stretch of the seven games at home where the Flames don't have it easy with the teams that are coming in, but at least they're at home for almost the entire month of February, so they got that going for them. Um, I guess final thought on the Flames we can touch upon. Um, seven to one last night. Last time the Flames hung seven goals on a team was March 4th last season when they uh, did it to the Ottawa Senators, and what happened after that game, Michael? Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we, we said goodbye to Mr. Jeff Ward after that game, so We'll see what's a coach playing, playing a game like that where your team just lights up a team and looks like they're playing good hockey, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, by the way, back your bags, you're done. Like, it was, the crazy <laughs> thing was it was that night, too. Like, they didn't even wait till the next morning. Like, we, I know we had just finished, like, wrapping up all the post-game stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, they just fired their coach at 11 at night mountain time, and yeah. we were all panicking to get stuff out there, but that was a, that was a wild couple hours there. 
That couple hours was akin to the night that the Flames traded Jerome McGinley to the Bruins and then didn't trade Jerome McGinley to the Bruins. It was like one of those bizarro nights where it was like a post game where everything started happening at weird hours of the day. But yeah, well, last yeah, time. I, go. I was just that night I was at, I was actually at a friend's place watching the game that, that night and we'd had a, a, a few beverages and I, I look down, I see Daryl Sutter is the new head coach of the Flames come across my Twitter and. I had to try and find a breathalyzer because I thought I was just too far gone. I thought I was having some kind of like flashback thing going on here. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm still thrilled they did that. But it, that was a wacky evening. <laughs> did I get in a time machine? Is it the early 2000s? Did something happen here? So yeah, last time the Flames hung seven on a team, their coach got fired. I don't think they're going to fire Daryl Sutter after this. Though. I think I think management should be pretty happy with what is going on. All right, well, that wraps up our Flames and Hockey Talk for the first half of the podcast. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking football. Uh, A little bit of controversies, uh, or not controversies, maybe some sour grapes from some cities last week uh, with the NFL playoffs. So we'll handle that. We'll recap some of those games, and we'll preview what's coming up this weekend. So when we come back, we will tackle all of them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast. We hammered out the first half of the podcast with lots of flames, love. That's like the first podcast we ever, I mean, we only did like limited Johnny and Matthew love. Like we actually gushed on other players. That was, that was weird. We should probably redo that whole podcast second again, right? Um, the NFL, uh, last weekend, uh, pretty wild games, kind of an exciting weekend for the most part. Um, just briefly, you got any takeaways on the weekend as a whole? We can, we can obviously get to the overtime thing in a second, but. I would say that was probably the best weekend of playoff football in years decades yeah. even maybe like all three games or all four games coming down to the final play like I, I i just think if you're trying to sell somebody who's never seen football before on nfl and what like what the game is like that's probably the weekend of highlights you show them just because it was kind of four different games but also four very entertaining games in their own right obviously with the capper bills chiefs which was just outstanding yeah you look at every game the bills chiefs game had the biggest uh the biggest win point differential on the win and that was six Everything else was three. You know, uh, the Bengals take down the Tennessee Titans 19 to 16. Um, that was a tough one for me to swallow watching Tannehill. Once again, two of his three picks were tip passes. Um, they lose, so they're out. It was a great meme that showed it was like regular season Tannehill, and it was like him in the Titans uniform, and it was like postseason Tannehill, and it was him in a Dolphins uniform. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, still. But Joe Burrow and the Bengals going to the AFC title game for the first time since Boomer Esiason took them to the <laughs> AFC title game with Icky Woods doing the shuffle. So uh, then you had the 49ers and Packers, uh, 13 to 10. San Francisco takes down Aaron Rodgers. And is that Aaron Rodgers' last game in Green Bay? In, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, he's got a whole pile of things coming at him anyway. But um, Jimmy Garoppolo proved here, like, you don't need a star quarterback to get past somebody in the playoffs if you got a team built around you, right? Yeah, I – it was, I think the weather probably helped the Niners a bit. It was a complete blizzard in Green Bay. Like it was cold. I think that probably helped neutralize Aaron Rodgers a little bit, but it was good. To, it, it was good to see an entertaining game. Uh, our friend Gordy was very happy after that game, sure. big 49ers fan. And 
yeah, it's like I said, it's one of those games where it's like, yeah, sometimes you get NFL and plus the, in super hot weather, sunny, warm, you just play a good game. Other, other times you play in a blizzard. So entertaining in its own right, even though it was only 13 10. Uh, my favorite game of the week was the Rams and Buccaneers, 30 to 27. That game was out of this world. I thought for a long time that the Rams are just going to run it down their throats and be done with it. Then they fumble on like the three yard line just as their half's about to end. Then they come out. And then they fumble again. And then you're giving Tom Brady chances and you're just watching Tampa go down and score. And I'm like, it's it's like we've all seen this movie. I hate this movie. I hate this book. I hate this TV show with a passion. I'm just tired of seeing Gronk. I'm tired of seeing Brady. And then they then they go up. And then Matthew Stafford just must have just protected, like, no, I have had so much terrible luck. Detroit has been miserable. I'm going to the NFC championship game. And he drove them down the field and he had some stones. That was a hell of a game. Um the Buck Rams take down the Bucks thirty to twenty seven. That I don't know how you feel. That I, I think I know what your favorite game was of the weekend. But for me, that was it. Uh, that game was just phenomenal. That was a great, great playoff game. Yeah, I think uh, it was it was fun, kind of fun to see Brady almost pull off another huge comeback. But to see the Rams ultimately pull it out, I think is probably better for the sport overall for those who don't like Tom Brady. So. Yeah, I, I'm. I thought, like you said, it was a very good football game. Very like two very solid teams, and I think that's what we saw all weekend was that there was like eight very good football teams. And yeah, Tom Brady's out, no eighth ring for now. We'll see if he sticks around or not. I know you're grinning like a school child over there. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm happy that uh, yeah, no, it was a good game. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm hoping Matthew Stafford gets his shot at going in because I think uh, Stafford's due. He's just he was such a good trooper out there in Detroit on bad teams for so long. So I'm all in on Matthew Stafford. I will say my favorite football meme of the weekend was where Brady got hit in the mouth and he had the bloody lip. And um, the, the meme said, maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline because it looked like he had smeared all over his face. So that, that might have been my favorite. And then our final game of the weekend, the Chiefs take down the Buffalo Bills in overtime, 42 to 36 in a game that you had to have taken the over if you were betting that game because you just know Buffalo can score. I mean, up until that game, Buffalo hadn't punted in the postseason coming in, and Mahomes can do just – how many times did you see Buffalo almost have Mahomes? And then he just kind of walks away, hangs around for a little bit. Oh, he almost got me again, and then throws some underhand sidearm shovel pass for eight yards. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what he does. He's just so elusive, and it, I don't know, whatever reason with the Chiefs, it just always kind of seems to work out in the end. They had that pretty rough start to the season. I think they were one in three, something like that. They were not a good team out of the gates, but they got a home playoff date and uh, they got the home, the AFC championship at home next week. So it all kind of worked out in the end. But yeah, that game, those uh, the late scores in either direction. Buffalo going up with just 13 seconds left and Kansas City still getting back in a field goal range to tie it. It was just... I think we've heard it said like multiple places that might be one of the best games in years, really just fantastic football. I guess if you like, if you like defense, maybe not as much, but <laughs> if you want to be entertained for the three hours while you have a drink and just sit around and watch a game, like that's probably as good as it's going to get for you. Yeah. Well, what did like Mahomes had a ridiculous amount of passing yards in like a short amount of time. Like it was, it was like, he had like 200 yards in like a short amount of time. It was like, they just, they came down, they, 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 they just, I don't know, that game, I just didn't understand it. And then you go to overtime, 
Kansas City wins the coin toss. They go down the field, uh, eight plays, 69 yards. They score a touchdown, take up four minutes. The game's over. And then the complaints start. Everybody starts complaining about how the overtime rules need to be changed because it's not fair. They're like, they should maybe go to the college. I saw someone suggest go to college rules and put the teams at the 40, you know, give them each a drive. Like in the in NCAA football, you drive and you score a touchdown. The other team has a chance if they don't score, game's over, you know, or you can both score, go back and forth. It's, I, look, it's a coin toss. It's it's a 50-50 shot. Buffalo could have won that and gone down the field and scored, you know. So I'm not a fan of changing the overtime rule. I say play defense. Buffalo hadn't played defense at that point in like eight minutes. So it's time to settle in, play defense, stop them, get the ball back, go down, kick a field goal, game over. I don't know how you feel, but I'm not a big fan of changing the overtime rule because the Bills lost. Well, I definitely like that the overtime rule isn't just a field goal anymore. I did like that they did change that to at least get to get a touchdown to send it home, but I don't as a, as a person who's also a pretty big CFL fan. I think I still prefer the CFL rules, which is uh, too many games. You start your thirty five here, and first team goes down, tries to score, they can kick a field goal at any point if they want to. But if they score a touchdown, they have to go for two. Yeah. Other team gets the same chance in the regular season. They play that twice through. If it's still tied after that, then it's a tie. But I think we've only seen one tie in the league in over a decade now, so it's not something that happens too frequently. But I think. I think I would prefer that over the touchdown rule just because then you see both teams have to play offense and defense to win the game late. Um, I know at least some people wouldn't like it, uh, like the TV people. They like to know that the game's going to be over in 10 minutes in overtime no matter what. They like to get in and out. They got their bills to pay and programs to run. But I, I would personally prefer that a lot more to see both offenses, both defenses have to make a big play to win the game, which I think is what overtime should be about rather than if it's an all offensive game, you know, you win the coin toss, you're probably winning the game. And if it's an all defensive game, you might have a crack the other way, but it's still not going to, it's still going to matter more. I think that both teams get the football at least once with like a mini game format. Maybe they should do the mini game format. And if nobody scores, they do like a shootout, but they go to field goal kickers. <laughs> you just get like five <laughs> kicks, penalty kicks or something. Just make it something totally bananas. So that leads us into this Sunday, uh, the two games, the Chiefs and the Bengals in the AFC. They play for the right to go to the Super Bowl for the AFC. And the 49ers and the Rams in the NFC. Uh, Bengals Chiefs is 3 o'clock, and the that's all Eastern time. And Niners Rams, 6.30 Eastern time. Um what do you like? I, I just I don't think the Bengals have it in them to slow down the Chiefs. And you think Burrow can go toe to toe with Mahomes? I mean, everything I kind of think about the sports, I, I would say no. I think the Chiefs are just a bit too much of a wagon. But I would really like to see the Bengals win. I like when my team is out. I usually like to root for one of those teams that hasn't had a lot of success in recent years or any championships. So I, I don't see them being able to realistically shut down Mahomes enough to win the game. But I'm still going to be rooting for the Bengals without a doubt this weekend. Yeah, I think so too. I'm kind of Mahomes and the Chiefs are kind of getting Patriot esque for me. I'm tired of seeing them. I'd like to see some somebody new in there. I got nothing against a guy like Joe Burrow. I think he plays the game well. And that's a Cincinnati's a decent team. So I could, yeah, I'll, I could take Bengals in that game. No problem. Um, uh, sorry, Gordy. I, I'm all in on the Rams just from the fact that I think Matthew Stafford, like, is just he's earned his chance to be you know, in this spot and be this good because he suffered for so long. Um, do you think the 49ers have the offense to keep up with Matthew Stafford if they get thrown and get the ball moving? Well, what I'm going to say about that game is that, well, of course, the Niners had to beat the Rams that last week of the year just to even get into the playoffs. And they were actually down 17 nothing at halftime in that game. And the Niners, I believe, have won six straight overall against the Rams, including two this year. But I just think in football, it's so hard to beat a team three times in one season. 
So I'm really, I, as much as I want to take the Niners, like you said, I think the Rams are just a bit too good of a team. I think they're going to be mad about that last week of the year. I think they're going to be a team that wants to beat their rival. Although we'll see the last couple of times they played in LA, the 49ers fans have made it like a home game for San Francisco. So as much as I want to say it's a toss up, I think, like you said, Matthew Stafford, I, I got to go with the Rams in a conference championship game. And I'd really like to see a Rams Bengals Super Bowl. Yeah. I think that would be a fun game to watch. Uh, it would certainly be a lot of offense in that one. Um, so yeah, that happened. Uh, Major League Baseball today, um, Hall of Fame announcements uh, coming today. A bunch of, um, bunch of, has it been quite? Yeah, uh, no, 6 p.m., but it sounds like, um, sounds like Barry Bonds got in. Uh, am I on, make that right? Is that right? Am I on that one? Um, I know. I'm they, not uh, sure. I haven't heard anything about that front, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter right now. Um, no, I think it's, I don't think it's, what's today, Tuesday? Yeah, I think it's at 6 p.m. Yes. So sorry, I had that wrong. So we're, they're, they're going to have the announcement today. Bonds, Clemens, uh, David Ortiz. Um, I don't know if Paul Merrill's still on the list, but it's a heavy steroid use group that's going in. Um, quickly, we've got a few seconds left. What are your thoughts on on that? Um, do you do you care at this point? Like, I mean, a quick abridged version of how I feel. Like, guys like Bonds and Clemens, I feel like Clemens was a Hall of Famer when he left Boston. And he wasn't the hulking machine he was after that. So same with Bonds. Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he left Pittsburgh, and he was pretty small the first couple of years he was in San Francisco. If you want to put them in based on a, that part of their career arc, that's fine. I don't have an issue with that. But like, do you, do, you, do you at this point do you care, or do you want to see guys juiced up hitting eighty home runs and throwing hundred mile an hour fastballs? It's such a tough thing to really side on, just because there's like the principle of the sport you don't want these guys taking peds but like a bunch of people did also take it during their time period and these guys were just the best of the best so mm-hmm. i would prefer not but i don't think you can totally overlook the accomplishments either like you still have to be very good at hitting a baseball and driving it even regardless of what you take so i don't know i, I i'm not a huge fan of putting them in the hall of fame but they were still very good baseball players regardless so you have to at least consider it so you look down the list right now. I'll I'll uh, blow through it real quick. On the list is Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Scott Rowland, Omar Vizquel, uh, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, Andy Pettit, Mark Burley, Torrey Hunter, Bobby Abreu, and Tim Hudson. Um, then there's some there's some first ballot Hall of Famer options. It's uh, Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, Tim Lincecum, Justin Morneau, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz, Jonathan Papelbon, Jake Peavy, AJ Brzezinski, Jimmy Rollins, A-Rod, and Mark Teixeira. Um, last year, that whole holdover, Schilling was the closest one. You need 75%, and he had 71%. Um, I don't, you know, I think Schilling's being held out a lot on off-field stuff, let's put it that way, and uh, personal beliefs and politics, because I think as a pitcher on the field, he was fantastic. Bonds was at 61%, Clemens at 61%. Um, that's a pretty big jump to get to 75 in a year. That's a 14% hike. I think that's going to be pretty tough. The rest of that group, I mean, Sheffield and eh, Todd Helton, Sosa's never going to get in. Pettit, I'm surprised Pettit's that low. Um, you know, and then some of those other guys, like, you see Jonathan Papelbon on there. I'm like, really? Yeah, really? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so that's that's the final list. It says uh, 6 p.m. tonight. That'll be announced. So um totally dating this podcast at this point with that. But there's your baseball talk for the day. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens all get in this time through. Yeah, I'm with you on that, I think. And honestly, I, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. As you can see, yeah, I'm, I don't have quite the knowledge of uh, baseball overall to know one way or the other. But yeah, I think 
like you said, if they were close last time, I think we probably see them get that final push this year. I mean, you look at what Schilling did with the Phillies, what he did with the Diamondbacks, and what he did with the Red Sox. He's he's got the thing. Same thing with Clemens. Even if you want to give him a couple years in Toronto, that's fine. And Bonds, even with Pittsburgh, was a Hall of Famer. So I don't have any problems with that. I'm listen. The only my favorite baseball player got into the Hall of Fame the last year he was on the ballot, and it was like the greatest day of my life. And I went to Cooperstown when he was inducted, and that's Jim Rice, uh, left fielder for the Red Sox. So at that point, I didn't care who got in the Hall of Fame after that because my guy was in there, so none of it mattered after that. So, but I would like Clemens is still one of my favorite players of all time, so I wouldn't mind seeing him get in. So, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Look, yeah, we squeezed in some baseball talk. Who knew? Yeah. Um, I think I'm all good. I'm excited for this uh, little road trip, and uh, I think the Flames are going to beat Vancouver on Saturday, too. So let's uh, throw that in there as well. Just fire it all down. That's all Vancouver needs. It's just one of those seasons for that Canuck fan base. It's very up and down. It's like a thaw. It's very cold, then it thaws, and then when things thaw, they break. So who knows what's going to happen with the Canucks. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find this and past episodes of The Tinderbox, Mark and Michael's Musings, and Behind Enemy Lines on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Just search Matchsticks and Gasoline, and you will find all of those under there. That heading, Flames off tonight. Next game coming up for Calgary will be the Columbus Blue Jackets. So hopefully the Flames can kind of keep on this little streak before they head to St. Louis to take on a team that is definitely going to be looking for revenge. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time on Mark and Michael's Musings. 